So we have been in a summer series about spiritual practices, examining those classic practices of our faith. And today, today we will be examining the practice of fasting. Now it's an interesting topic for a communion Sunday, right? And it's an interesting topic for a pastor who has struggled with emotional eating. Traditionally, fasting is the practice of intentionally refraining from food for a period of time for spiritual reasons. We don't talk much about fasting as a spiritual practice. There aren't many books or articles, and I've never heard a sermon on fasting. Have you? Okay, at least it'll be fresh. Sure, there are some new ideas out there about fasting for health or for weight loss, but you don't hear much about fasting as a spiritual practice. You could probably Google it, but don't do that now. I find that there aren't a lot of books about it, certainly not contemporary books. Last Sunday, as Pastor Dave taught about simplicity, the spiritual practices of choosing simplicity, he talked about three practices, simplifying or cleaning up a workspace, making room in your calendar for some margin, for some grace, and simplifying your technology use. And I, I know that you have appreciated this series in some tangible ways that Pastor Dave has invited us to embrace different practices. I know I have. Last week, Pastor Dave shared that he cleaned a closet. He didn't share a picture, though. Huh? Removed Facebook from his phone. We could test him on vacation. And he went on vacation, the biggest thing. He cleared space for vacation, and I call that practicing what you preach. So I sat, and I heard that last Sunday, and I thought, oh, wow, I better follow his example and practice what I preach. So, of course, I've been convicted the past couple of weeks preparing for this Sunday that I needed to fast for a day. But when? I put it off. I know I've shared with some of you about my journey this past year, losing 55 pounds. I sought to have a healthier relationship with food. I sought to get to a healthier place with balance, with portion control, and most of all, with emotional eating habits. I've had a complicated relationship with food. I found that I would eat when I was anxious or bored and I sought to change those habits. And you change habits through repetition because that's how you get habits, through repetition. I've discovered self-awareness of my feelings and my insecurities have helped me reflect on my habits. This has had both physical and spiritual importance for me. But, but I've never fasted for anything other than a medical test. So we're learning this together. I am not a wise sage with lots of experience. So last Sunday, I realized my time in this coming week was filling up. What day could I focus on fasting? How could I free my calendar? I looked at my calendar last Sunday, and Monday was the only day of the week where I wasn't with particular people with plans that involved food or for some reason it would be hard for me to fast alone. So Monday it was. And on Monday morning, I didn't feel very spiritual. I wasn't very hungry, but I felt a bit out of sorts. It probably didn't help 
that I needed to go to the post office. And there was a long line. There was a long line of people who didn't seemingly understand that you should bring your addresses for your packages and put it on your package before you get there. They didn't seem to know that there were forms that you could get before you were in line. The postal workers, they were saints. Me, not so much. I was cranky. And then I thought, where should I go to be in a more holy state of mind as I fast? So I came to church. And I thought, let me do something spiritual and go into the sanctuary kitchen and set up the trays for the elements. As you've seen, they're pretty shelf-stable. I could set them up in advance. So I went into the kitchen. It seemed like a holy thing to do during a fast, right? Set up communion. I thought maybe I'd have a beautiful transcendent moment to share with you. Sounds like a good idea, right? Right, no. Then I discovered a dripping faucet in the sanctuary kitchen where the things were stored. It was making things soggy and messy. I cleaned it up, I finished my task, but I wasn't feeling very holy. I was feeling a little unfocused. So now what? I remembered the chocolate that was in my office. So I decided I should stay in the sanctuary. So I decided to sit in the chancel and pray. But somehow I got distracted and I cleaned up the pulpit. I was still distracted. I reminded myself of that children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. You know that book? The boy gives a cookie to a mouse. The mouse asks for a glass of milk. He then wants a straw to drink the milk. He wants a mirror to make sure he hasn't messed up his face. Then he wants to trim his whiskers. And then he wants a broom to clean up. And then he wants a nap and a story read to him. He puts the story on the refrigerator and then he remembers, ah, I'd like some milk. And then what does he want with the milk? He wants a cookie. Oh, and now I'm thinking of cookies again. <laughs> so I was distracted. So what I decided to do is lay down in a pew in the afternoon sun and pray. I laid down about where Nancy is. Raise your hand, Nancy. Yeah, I was about there. The light angles in so beautifully from the amber windows and a little bit of bright colors. And I prayed about my distractions. I prayed about my crankiness. And then maybe, maybe I discovered that what lies beneath the surface is crankiness more than I care to admit. When things don't go my way, when I don't get the cookies I want, when I don't have the things to distract me, I'm privileged to have whatever I want that could distract me. I prayed, Lord, I'm here, I'm seeking you to bring me something real, bring me something real. And then it hit me, that word real. I realized fasting doesn't make you holy and transcendent, it makes you real, it makes you real about who you are and where you are and whose you are. And when you're real about who you are, you can better perceive the reality and need for God's grace. That's the reward of fasting. And don't just take my word for it. Take it from Jesus and listen to our passage for this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to not show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head 
and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus talks about motives around fasting. It's clear in his teaching that he assumed that his followers were fasting. It was a Jewish practice. Many Jewish Pharisees fasted several times a week as a mark of piety. They put ashes on their face. Everyone would know they were fasting. It became legalistic and superficial. Fasting isn't meant to be a magical way to get God's attention, nor should it be used to impress others. Jesus made that clear. In the Jewish law, the Torah, fasting was, was prescribed on the Day of Atonement, the great national day of repentance for the Jewish people. And there are stories in times of distress or times of peril that fasting was used as a corporate practice. But in this passage, Jesus talks about it as a personal practice. Throughout the New Testament, feasting is fasting. Fasting, not feasting, is normally coupled with prayer. Hopefully fasting is too. Biblical fasting wasn't just asceticism. It wasn't just self-denial. It wasn't just a mortification of your bodily needs. And our passage today demonstrates that it's connected to prayer. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, that great collection of Jesus' teaching. And we've been in this Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount several times this summer during this series. And this makes sense, right? Jesus was focused on many important basics for spiritual living. This passage this morning is right after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Most Christians are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. We recite it. We pray it regularly. And think about it. After the initial address to God, glorifying God's name and God's kingdom reign in heaven and earth, the first request is what? Come on, church, you know it. Give us today our daily bread. So why? Why give us our daily bread? Well, it's obvious our bodies need bread. Our bodies are meant, are designed to need nutrients from food. Humans were created hungry for food and so much more. Think of the biblical story. Think how much involves food. From the creation of a hungry man and a hungry woman, ending with a messianic feast, and so many steps in between. The first tasks given to humans, keep and till the earth for food. Sin is identified as a forbidden and beautiful and delicious fruit on a tree. There are important miracles and stories in the Old Testament about food. Manna from heaven, oil that never, jars that are never empty. The people of Israel were told to show their devotion and their worship to God with sacrifices of choice meat and grain. Their care for their neighbors was identified by food and hospitality. Their love language was food. In cultures of periodic famine with bare subsistence living and agriculturally based cultures, the abundance of food is awe-inspiring. 
we're not in tune with this because most of us haven't experienced food insecurity or been involved in food production or distribution. I sat once with a group of rural villagers in Ethiopia, and they were watching the Jesus movie, which was a compilation of the gospel stories. These are people who'd never seen TV or movies, and I watched them gasp at what story? At Jesus feeding the multitudes with loaves and fishes. They gasped at that. The healing miracles, the resurrection, post-resurrection, those appearances of Jesus, those didn't have the emotional impact. They didn't gasp in the same way. Think of it, most of Jesus' miracles weren't based, that weren't based on healing bodies were based around food. And not surprising, because food is important for our lives. And the ultimate giving meal, the ultimate life-giving meal, is the messianic feast. Jesus establishes himself as the sacrifice, as the meal that restores us, that feeds us, that redeems us hungry humans. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But the receiving of food, it forms more than our bodies. Think of a new baby learning about love and attachment as that baby is fed. They're learning what it is to be human as well as being fed to grow their bodies. Fasting reminds us of our frailty, that we are all dependent, needy, frail, and loved, which is a good posture for prayer. The reality of who we are, who God is, and our place in creation as hungry humans. Jesus suggests that we are honest and real when we fast. Wash your face, says Jesus. Be real, he means. Jesus talks about different kinds of rewards for fasting. He talks about the reward of attention that those who put on a pious show would receive. That's a superficial reward for hypocrites. But Jesus says, instead, wash your face and focus on being real with God. He then says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. What does that mean? Our Father will reward us. It feels like a prosperity gospel, doesn't it? Pray and fast secretly, and then you'll cash in. But no, if we look closer at that word, God's reward, apodidomai is the Greek word. It's a verb. It's an action. The underlying meaning is this, to restore to an earlier condition. Fasting is to restore us to an earlier condition. So we wash our face we are real with God when we fast, and we seek to return to who we are created to be. We're created to be hungry. We're created to be beloved. We're created to be dependent on God, seen by God just as we are, like a baby, loved before a baby can fend for themselves, each one equal to others, each one hungry and created in God's image. Everyone is hungry. So what are you hungry for? We're privileged to not be physically hungry. Most of us haven't had experience of being food insecure. Fasting can build our compassion for those who are literally hungry for food. 
But I think the first step in fasting is to get in touch with our own hunger. Sometimes we forget we're hungry because we keep filling up before we can experience hunger. Sometimes we fill up with food, sometimes with other substances or experiences that fill us up with mood-altering, feel-good chemicals. A hit of dopamine, right? I think our bodies were built for times of fasting, for times of pausing from digesting everything in front of us. We aren't designed for constant grazing. We aren't cows. But how should we fast? Let me pause and say, for those who suffer from eating disorders, follow the guidance of those counselors in your life. That is really important. But for the rest of us, I'll suggest something very simple. Set aside a day, or maybe just one meal, Fast from food that fills your body or from whatever distracts your mind, whether it's alcohol, entertainment, shopping, addictive internet content. You can use your imagination. You know what fills you. Wash your face and be real with God. Look in a mirror. See yourself as beloved and pray about this one simple question. It's just one simple question. Lord, what do I hunger for? And then listen. Listen. Listen and explore your hunger for things both spiritual and tangible. Because fasting doesn't make you holy and transcendent. It makes you real about who you are and whose you are. And when you're real about who you are, you can better perceive the reality and the need for God's grace in your life. You can be assured that God wants to fill your hunger with good things to restore you. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so as we gather at this table today, as hungry humans, we seek to remember that promise. And all the church says, amen.